All right, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Amateur Hour with me, your host, Dr. Bradley. Now, before we begin, let me just state for legal reasons, uh, to avoid any amount of confusion, I should state that I am not a licensed doctor. I have no credentials. I have no PhD, no MD. Uh, What I am, though, is a doctor of common sense. And what I want to bring you in this show is common sense. I want to bring to the table something that no other shows do. Well, what is this show? This is a political talk show. And, well, Brad, Dr. Bradley, don't, don't, don't there, aren't there other shows out there that talk politics? Aren't there other political talk shows? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Way too many. But all of those shows, every single network, whether it's cable, whether it's Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, or it's CBS, NBC, ABC, uh, whether it's you know Sirius XM, other YouTube channels, all of these only focus on what to think. They rely on telling you what to think. They don't care if you know how to think. They don't want you to know how to think. If you knew how to think for yourself about all the issues, if you could connect all the dots between the issues, if you could see all the hypocrisy going on, if you could see all the double standards in the media, in politics, you could essentially read any news story, see any issue come at you, evaluate it objectively, understand it objectively, think critically about it. And in that respect, all of these news shows would be irrelevant. They wouldn't have a job because you know how to think for yourself. So why would you need anyone to tell you what's going on? You would know. You would be able to read an article and and understand when they're trying to manipulate you. You would be able to read between the lines and understand how one issue is connected to another, to another, to another, to another, and so on. But they don't want that. Because if you knew how to do that, they'd be out of a job. They'd make zero money. And there wouldn't be Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. So... That's what I'm here to do, not to put them out of business, but to help connect all the dots between the issues, to encourage everyone to think for themselves critically and independently. That's what this show is about. That's what I'm here for. But who am I? You're probably thinking, Brad, I have no idea who you are. But that's also what makes this show unique is that Unlike those guys who have backgrounds, who have credentials, pedigree, all that great stuff, I don't. I am the amateur. That's why it's the amateur hour. What is an amateur? Well, you may think it's someone who doesn't know what they're doing, but that's sometimes true, perhaps. But really what an amateur is, is someone who does what they do, not because they get paid to do it, but because they have a passion for it. 
And that's what I have. I love talking about this stuff. I love history. I love politics. I love thinking about thinking. And it's, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to bring this to you right now. And before we get too far in, I do want to take a, a moment here to say thank you for tuning into this show. Whether it's the first week of the show or you're watching this years from now, wherever you are, whether you're watching it at home, you're watching it on your phone, hopefully you're not watching it in your car unless it's self-driving, I do really want to take the time to say thank you sincerely because uh, this show is, is exciting to me. If you're watching it, that means that this is something that you care about as well. And hopefully we can have a lot of fun. We can learn a lot and keep this thing going for a good while longer. So that being said, let's get started. Um, what is this show about? We covered that, but why is this show necessary? Why can't we just rely on other people to tell us what to think? The professionals. Why can't we just listen to them and move on, carry on with our daily lives, trust all the important issues in our country, in the world, to the people whose job it is to simply focus and report on those things? Well, unless you've been living under a rock for the past three years, you would know where that's gotten us. You would know that listening to experts has crushed our economy. It has ruined businesses. It has stunted the development of children. It has ruined people's lives. It has caused suicides. It has caused and led to drug addiction and drug overdoses simply because we decided to absolve ourselves of responsibility and relinquish it to people who professed to have expertise in areas of medicine, areas of policy, areas of economics, areas of international relations, all of it. And it has been absolutely devastating. So what this show aims to do and why it's so important, not only are we going to focus on how to think, how to connect the dots, but what we are going to attempt to do is to talk about at its core, especially today, is philosophy versus ideology. And again, you're probably thinking, Brad, I don't, I don't want to talk about philosophy. Philosophy is, you know, what's real and, uh, you know, is, uh, is, this, is this desk really a desk? And, you know, how do we know it's not the matrix and, and are we in a, in a simulation, those sorts of things. And sure, that's uh, maybe some existential philosophy. <clears throat> All we are is dust in the wind, dude. But what philosophy really is, is it's about knowledge. And 
it's not just knowledge for knowledge sake. It's not trivia. You know, you don't, you don't learn things hopefully to just go to a sports bar on a Tuesday night and uh, win a bunch of bar bucks for drinks uh, because you know, a bunch of trivia, the whole point of knowledge, acquiring knowledge, acquiring any amount of expertise, uh, experiences is to apply it. And that's what philosophy is about. Philosophy, philosophy is about learning how to be in the world, figuring out what is the best way to exist in the world. What's the best way to live my life? What is the best way to engage with other human beings? What's the best version of myself that I can put forward into the world to live my life, to engage with other human beings and have meaningful relationships, have a meaningful job, have meaningful goals. That's what philosophy is all about. And on the other side of that, you have what's going on widespread right now, and that's ideology. And unlike philosophy that is a guide as to how to be in the world in a moment-to-moment on a moment-to-moment basis, on a day-to-day basis, ideology is more about an end vision, a vision of society and reality. And that's what's everywhere today, especially on the progressive uh, left. You see it a little bit on the right, but especially on the left. And there, there's no qualms about it. They don't make any... Uh, they don't dispute it at all. They, they really think and believe that, that utopia is possible, that there is a version of society that is perfectly ordered and where everyone is equally represented and there is zero suffering in the world. There's maximum equality across the board. Uh, and, and that sounds really good. And who wouldn't want a world where there is no suffering and there is maximum equality? It sounds great, but it is sadly, it's unachievable. That's just not the way the world works. That's just not what reality is. There has and will always be suffering, whether it's physical, emotional. It's, it's always been a part of existence for every single life form on this planet. You know, whether it's a, an organism at the cellular level that gets consumed or dies, whatever, it just, it's suffering is inevitable, but they fantastically believe that it's solvable. And when you do that, the whole point of this, the reason I want to lay all that out is because when you think of it that way, when you really believe that utopia is possible, that ending suffering is possible, that ending war is possible. You can justify doing anything to get to that finish line, to get to that end result, to find your utopia at the end of the rainbow. And that is what the 20th century and all the atrocities therein was all about. Whether it's the Holocaust, whether it's the gulags, whether it's mass starvation, by Stalin and Mao or 
all sorts of genocides that happened during the 20th century, like in Rwanda, uh, Serbia, even, I mean, it's, it's still going on, you know, even in, uh, with the, the Uyghur Muslims in China, it's, that is about ideology. And when you, again, want to move towards an end result that you think is achievable, all of these atrocities are justified because you are moving in your mind, whether it's incrementally or in big steps, you are moving towards this perfectly ordered society where there is perpetual peace, stability, order, and it is, that's a fiction. It will never, ever come to pass so long as human nature is human nature. So I want to front load all of that because what we're going to talk about is all piled onto that foundational idea of philosophy versus ideology. And before we dive into our first issue, it's really important to note that it's not always that ideology is the biggest problem. It's when you have ideology combined with the absence of philosophy. And that's what we're seeing right now. There's plenty of ideology out there. And there is a huge absence of philosophy out there. So now that we got that covered, let's dive into the very first issue of the Amateur Hour. So earlier in the week, I put out a poll on Instagram and it was a poll to ask you, the viewer, what you wanted to talk about for the very first issue. And we had four choices. We had, we had four choices. We had Brazil. They're having their own January 6th down there. They've got their own shaman down there. Uh, we have Ukraine still going on, still sending them buckets of money, barrels of money, while everybody here is, uh, you know, just struggling to get by and uh, can't find or afford eggs. But we're still sending them buckets of money. Uh, we also have 2024 coming up. It's going to be here fast. And then we have what everybody actually, the overwhelming majority of people voted uh, to talk about COVID, which is crazy to me. We're three years into this and it's still an issue. It's still worth talking about. I don't think it's crazy because I can't believe people would vote for it. I can't believe that it's still worth talking about. And it sadly still is worth talking about. Now I'm going to take a little detour because I just remembered something. Not really quite an issue, but I, I want to I bring it up because it is really important uh, to talk about the Golden Globes, which were this week. And if you watched the Golden Globes, and judging by the viewership, you didn't, you'd know that the ratings were at an all-time low. Well, almost at an all-time low. The only other broadcast of the Golden Globes to rate lower than the 6.25 million viewers that tuned in this past Monday 
was in 2008. Yes, 15 years ago when there was a writer's strike and there were no Golden Globes. That's right. They had a press conference and announced the winners. So this year, they barely beat out a press conference, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, I certainly didn't watch it. I mean, Ricky Gervais wasn't hosting it, so why would I watch it? Um, but it just it just tells you right away the state of Hollywood, the state of the entertainment industry, and how absolutely irrelevant they have made themselves through whether it's you know wokeism or virtue signaling, all of those things. They just they do not represent or relate to the entire rest of the country. The only other people that they can relate to are the people within their tiny, super micro niche bubble. And it was just absolutely fascinating when I read about that. Not surprising in the slightest. I mean, they don't honor or celebrate uh, movies that people actually go and watch in theaters. I mean, you know, it's all streaming mostly nowadays anyway, but you know, there was a time, and uh, not to date myself, there was a time where they actually gave out Best Picture Oscars to movies that people had seen, like Titanic, like Gladiator, like Lord of the Rings Return of the King, and not for just technical awards like visual effects or sound or costume, all of that stuff, but for Best Picture, Best Actor, the big ones. And now it's movies that no one's seen. It's art house films. It's people trying to be deep thinkers, emotional, and they have just, they have worked so hard to try and convey how enlightened they are to the point where they have lost their audience. They have lost literally the audience. They've lost it. They, people don't show up outside of the people who exist in the entertainment industry. And it's just incredible. Um, so, yep, there it is. Golden Globes, almost an all-time low. And I got to say, I just cannot wait to not watch the Oscars. Okay, now, now we are going to get into COVID. So, what is there even to talk about COVID anymore? Don't we know everything by now? Uh, pretty much everything that conspiracy theorists were talking about uh, two years ago has uh, now been confirmed, and it's just out there. It's not even controversial anymore. I, I was kind of confused why everyone wanted to talk about it, and I thought, well, maybe it's just to try and see how fast the show can get canceled. By the power vested in me, I now pronounce you canceled. But I realized it's not controversial anymore. Uh, so what is there to talk about? Well, there is some news. There is some news. Uh, I don't know if you remember in September 2022, which, I mean, you know, that was a lifetime ago now, 2022. But President Biden said that the pandemic was essentially over. He said it was over. And yet, this week, 
The Biden administration extended the national health emergency that has been going on since 2020 till April 2023. But why? I thought the pandemic was over. Well, it turns out there's a new variant. I know. It's 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 scary. Listen to this. This one it's Omicron XBB.1.5. Wow. I mean, first of all, it rolls right off the tongue. It's right up there with uh, Delta. I mean, just it just sounds so scary. XBB.1.5. Honestly, it sounds like a Star Wars droid. But uh, apparently it is really, really scary, you guys. So, you know, as I'm reading this right now, I, I take it all back. I think we do need to extend the national uh, public health emergency because this one, this one is highly infectious, guys. Highly infectious. Um, well, wait, isn't the cold highly infectious and the flu highly infectious? Yeah, they are. So, oh, I you know what it is. You know why they say infectious? Because they can't find another way to scare you. Do you remember way back in 2020 when this virus was first coming to the United States? All the media could do all the live long day was blast the daily death count. How many COVID deaths were out there? Every network had just telling you how many people had died, were dying. They couldn't wait for the next person to die so they could add a number to the ticker. And... That started to plateau because as we quickly found out, this disease was not all that dissimilar from the flu. It was a little more severe, sure, and you definitely didn't want to get it, um, but it had a 99.997 survivability rate. That's pretty good. That's that's not that scary. Um not to minimize anybody that did, you know, suffer from it or die from it. I certainly know people that uh, have lost loved ones from it or have had it pretty bad and had to be hospitalized. Um, but was it worth locking down the entire country, putting people out of work, uh, taking kids out of school? Ruining businesses, absolutely destroying the economy, probably not. So when the deaths started to plateau, what was there? Well, next, it was hospitalizations. I mean, man, when Delta came around, it, was, it, it wasn't as deadly. But boy, it was hospitalizations. Hospitalizations are up. It was winter time, and guess what? That always happens. Even before COVID, every single winter, you can go back like at least 10 years, and you can find articles about hospitals running out of beds uh, and, and being overwhelmed during the winter when people are not going outside and days are shorter, and they're not getting potentially as much exercise, let alone uh, vitamin D. They're not taking care. Their, their immunity is lowered. And they're consuming the traditional American diet, which is garbage. 
might be tasty. Believe me, I love donuts are my favorite food. Don't get me wrong. I love donuts. I love, you know, pizza, all that stuff, but it is absolute garbage. And if you live on that and you aren't getting actual nutrition in the wintertime, yeah, when you get sick, it's probably going to suck worse than if you got sick in the summertime when you're outside, might be getting more exercise, you're getting vitamin D. Uh, so yeah, you may up into the hospital and that's what happens like all the time, every single year. It's not because of simply COVID. So, but hospitalizations were the big thing. And then once that kind of passed in the, the winter of death and despair for the unvaccinated or whatever the hell Biden uh, tried to coin it, um, what was left? Infections. That's it. So now to keep you marginally concerned, they have to promote hard that every new variant is highly infectious. You could get it. Just like Omicron was the first high. I mean, this Omicron was just so infectious. I mean, you could get it. Uh, and think it was the cold because it was so eerily. You could get it and not even know you had it. And if you tested negative for it, well, you should probably keep testing until it comes back positive because it was, it was that infectious. Um, and that's what we've got here. It's a brand new variant. It's so highly infectious that it's an emergency. Now, why does that matter? Well, if you are a so-called conspiracy theorist like uh, me and, and others, you knew that these variants seem to be kind of popping up pretty, pretty fast once the vaccines started rolling out. It was Delta, Omicron, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but they were usually, you know, when, when a, a pathogen mutates or changes or adapts, um, it takes a while and you can go back and look all this stuff up that variants were coming out a lot faster than we normally saw them. And a lot of people that kind of saw the trend asked the question, why is that happening? Could it be because of the vaccines? And it's probably partially due to natural immunity, but that usually takes a lot longer, but everybody was getting vaccinated. And all of a sudden these, these variants started to emerge like Delta, like Omicron. And the natural question was, is the virus adapting because of how fast and how prominent or prevalent uh, the vaccine was in society? And the obvious answer seemed yes, yes, uh, probably. Probably. But if you suggested that you were a conspiracy theorist, you were shadow banned, uh, you went to Facebook jail, all those things. And now, though, the Wall Street Journal is finally asking the hard hitting question, are vaccines causing variants that are resistant and evade vaccine immunity? Uh, well, it's nice that they finally came around. It really is. It's nice that uh, after two plus years that some of these publications, some of these outlets, 
that would uh, shut you down, call you a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer, which I always found fascinating. None of the, the people that didn't buy into the COVID vaccine were anti-vaxxers. They might have been anti-this vaccine, but not categorically anti-vaccine in general for the most part, although there are certainly those people out there. But to paint everybody that didn't buy into the the COVID vaccine with the biggest broad brush you could find as an anti-vaxxer was a little bit silly. But uh, so why is that important to know? Why? Well, if you are a policymaker, if you are anyone in a position of power, whether it's in the, the political world or the medical world, this is such great news. This is such great news that there is a new variant to scare people on and the idea finally coming out that vaccines are actually causing the new variants. Well, why? Why would that be good news? Well, if you're in the policy arena or you're in the medical, if you're big pharma, what do you have to do when that happens? Well, you got to come out with a new product. You got to come out with either a new booster. You got to come out with a new treatment. So if you're developing, first of all, if you're causing the variants, you are creating a demand for more treatments, which are causing more variants, which requires new treatments and so on and so forth. It is a self-generating cash machine. They are going to continue to sell you on the next shot and the next shot and the next shot to deal with the next variant and the next variant and the next variant. It's just like the flu shot. Why do you get a flu shot every single year? Because the flu adapts every single year and you're always getting a flu shot for last year's flu that they have studied and now developed a shot for. So that's good news. If you're in Washington, if you're the CDC, if uh, you're big pharma, it's great news because it keeps you relevant. It's it's all about staying relevant. If this thing goes away entirely, uh, then you go back to being irrelevant, largely. But what we know is that these vaccines are not safe and effective. Do you remember... When the first rolled out all the way through last year, you couldn't go 24 hours without somebody telling you that they were safe and effective, whether it was on TV, in a commercial, on the news, some celebrity saying it, whatever it was, it was always telling you how safe and effective these were. And then we came to find out that uh, they weren't really that effective. So they kind of dropped that language, but they were safe. Uh, they were safe until all the adverse effects, uh, VAERS reports started coming out, and there are lots of cases of myocarditis and things like that. Um, so now they don't say either. They just don't say it. Um, but they're still trying to get everyone uh, vaccinated and, and boosteritized, and the CDC is still telling parents to vaccinate their children six months or older. They are telling parents to vaccinate their babies to inject MRNA into infants. 
They are telling pregnant women it's a good idea to get vaccinated. Um, despite the fact that we have all the data, we know, we know that they are no longer effective. They're not effective. And they're certainly far from safe. I won't go so far as to say that they are unsafe. Um, again, I'm not a doctor of medicine. But again, common sense tells you that if these things, if this product were as good, was as good as they claim it to be, everything would be fine. We wouldn't be extending a national public emergency until April of 2023, three years after COVID came to the United States. We wouldn't be doing that, um, but we're doing it. And that's, that's kind of where we are right now. And on top of that, uh, we have some places trying to bring back mask mandates. Philadelphia, for instance, brought back mask mandates to their schools. Because, I mean, as we all know, it worked really, really well the first time. I mean, it just was like gangbusters. It worked so well um, that, you know, got to bring it back again. We got to have the sequel. And it's, it's obvious that, you know, if they had any doubt, they probably looked over at China, which uh, is still super masked up, mandatory vaccinations, um, and... It's, it's going, it's just going so well over there. There are like zero cases over there at all. Um, so, you know, kudos to Philadelphia to uh, bring back the mask mandates in schools and uh, put uh, face condoms on, on children and, uh, you know, not stunt their development at all, not cause any emotional or uh, psychological issues whatsoever. So good job. Keep up the good work. Um, so in some unrelated news, tangentially related, um, it's a bit sad, but Lisa Marie Presley uh, died this week after suffering cardiac arrest. And I, I hate to say it, I, I don't, I don't want to bring it up, um, but you know, there's just been a string of athletes suffering cardiac arrest, uh, young, healthy people dying on the court, uh, on the field. And it's just, it's, it's really time to talk about it. Um, although we know it was cardiac arrest, we don't know what caused it, but I am going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say it, look guys, it was climate change. It's absolutely climate change. Uh, we know that DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills, he suffered a cardiac uh, incident, obviously climate change. Emo Essien, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, uh, basketball player for Old Dominion, collapsed on the court. Guys, climate change. Adam Rich, actor, died. Climate change. Victoria Lee, 18 years old, MMA fighter, super healthy, died. Climate change, guys. And lastly, Ken Block, uh, pro rally driver, climate change. It's real. You know what? Actually, hold on. You know what? That was, um, 
He actually died in a uh, snowmobile accident. But I think he died with climate change. Yeah. So he, he didn't... Uh, he didn't die as a result of climate change, but he died while having climate change. So that is important important distinction to make. Uh, you know, I, I jotted down right here. So I don't want to I don't want to perpetuate any misinformation or disinformation. I, I want to be really upfront on that one. Uh, Ken Block died with climate change in a snowmobile accident. All right, next up we have twenty twenty four, the presidential election of twenty twenty four. Obviously, we've got some Senate seats up for grabs. We've got the House of Representatives, but the big one is the presidential election of 2024. What's going to happen? Who's running? Who's going to win? Before we can even make any kind of prediction on that, we've got to look at 2022 and 2023. With 2022, it's all about the midterms and the red wave that didn't happen, the red faucet leak that did happen. Uh, The Republicans took back the House of Representatives, failed to take back the Senate, and what's going to happen? Probably, hopefully, not a lot. Um, We've already got some, some kind of maybe glimmers of hope that it's not just all going to be theater for the next year year and a half. Uh, We've got some never Trumpers, some big government rhino Republicans being kicked off committees. Um, But you also have the Republicans voting to uh, defund or abolish the IRS or the 87,000 agents that were part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And that's great. Kudos. Great job. You did it. I don't understand why everyone is getting so excited about this. What do you think it's going to do? Do you think Biden will sign? Do you think it will even pass in the Senate? Do you think Biden, if it made it to his desk, would sign it? My God, it's a, they, they, they voted for it. They, they want these agents gone and, oh my God, I'm so scared. Uh, no, this is 2010 all over again. Tea party came in, had both houses of Congress and passed bill after bill, after bill, after bill, after bill to repeal Obamacare. Did they repeal it? No, it was dead on arrival. Well, it was, you know, we got, we got Obama on the record. Uh, you know, he has, to, he has to own Obama. Yeah, he doesn't care. Of course, it's, it was his legislation. It was his idea. He takes, credit for, he takes credit for it. Do you think he cares that you want to repeal it? No, he didn't care. And when Trump came into office and you had the opportunity to actually repeal it, Republicans did nothing. And do you know why? Because they are Republicans, not conservatives. They love big government, just like the Democrats love big government. The big issue here, the big contrast here, is that Democrats 
take no issue with that. Of course, they're big government. Yes, government should be in charge of everything as far as they're concerned. There is not a problem under the sun that they don't believe government can solve or fix. Whereas Republicans, they talk conservative talk. They talk small government. They talk free market capitalism. uh, They talk individual liberty, all those sexy conservative talking points, they talk them, they talk a big game. But when it comes down to it, they love big government too, just as much as Democrats. The issue is, and this is why they didn't win in 2022, is because they don't do those things. They don't walk that walk. They walk the Democrat walk. They play the Democrat game. And when you play their game, you lose. They don't stand for anything, the Republicans. Democrats stand for big government. They stand for making sure everybody that could potentially be listed or categorized as a victim is listed and categorized as a victim. And Democrats come out and they are their champions. We will champion your cause. You are a minority, you're infringed upon, your rights are being trampled on, Uh, we're here for you. And we are here to make sure government takes care of your problems. Republicans, on the other hand, constantly preach about wanting to get government out of the way, and all they do is grow it. Usually it's the military, uh, whether it's you know things like the Patriot Act and the TSA, Department of Homeland Security, they grow government just as good as the Democrats do. They love it, and that's why they lost. This comes back to, we're back at philosophy versus ideology. The Democrats, the progressives, they have an ideology. Now... The Democrats, they have an ideology. Let's be really clear. They, they know it. They have no issue with that. It's the Republicans who have the problem. Democrats have the ideology, and Republicans have no philosophy. They have nothing to guide them. Nothing whatsoever. And the only thing they can do And this is something that the Democrats do really, really well. But the Republicans are less adept at it is being anti the other party. Democrats are really good at it. They will try and scare the shit out of you. If a Republican comes into office, it's uh, might as well be Hitler. It's going to be hands made tale, handmaid's tale, whatever the show is where women uh, have no rights and are basically uh, birthing machines, and there's no abortion, you can't vote, you are slaves to men, they do that really, really well. They will scare the shit out of you uh, into voting for them because it doesn't matter what the Democrats stand for as long as they don't stand for what Republicans stand for, or they preventatively keep Republicans from, from doing the, the scary things. 
Republicans, on the other hand, will try to do the same thing and try to be anti-Democrat. But it doesn't work because they don't actually stand for anything. They are not free market capitalists. They love big omnibus bills, printing money, making printer go burr. They love all that stuff. They love the military industrial complex. They love spying on Americans. They love more taxes. So if you have the Democrat ideology and you have an absence of Republican philosophy, why would anyone want to vote for you? You're not bringing anything to the table. You are not giving anyone a platform. You are not presenting any values that you represent. So, of course, you're not going to win. Now, that doesn't mean, and I think Democrats are are fairly smart to recognize that this is not a mandate for them to go and do everything they want to do. But they have to be thrilled that the Republicans have, as a party, no clue what they're doing. And it's, it's, it really comes down to figuring out what your philosophy is. You have to develop one. If you don't develop one, then you're just going to continue to lose. You're going to continue to be mediocre. Uh, you may have a Republican president come in, and you may have Ron DeSantis come in and win the White House, but your power is not going to last very long. And do you honestly think, be really honest with yourself, ask yourself this question. Do you really think in 2024, if the Republicans keep the house, get the Senate, get the white house, that they'll try and repeal those 87,000 IRS agents again? No. Unless Ron DeSantis, President DeSantis, makes that possible. And he actually is the only person that might actually do that. Um, If we want to talk 2024 and who's running and all that stuff, I know Trump is running, Biden's supposedly running, uh, but Ron DeSantis is really the guy to, to watch out for. And love him or hate him, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it is really important to note that he at least seems to be operating on principle, guided by some sort of belief system, a philosophy, if you will. And he has a resume that backs that up. Going all the way back to COVID, and you can see that in his landslide election in 2022. So that's a really interesting one to look out for. It's an obvious choice. This is not a dark horse candidate, but let's be quite, quite frank right now with regards to Trump. I've never voted for Trump. I've never voted for Biden. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. But Trump, although he can be shrewd and sometimes tactically brilliant, he's not a great strategist outside of economic policy, business dealings, which is not surprising. But he announced his campaign at the worst possible time after the red faucet leak. 
he then in December, he announced some big news. It was, I mean, people were so excited. But what is, what is it going to be? What is he going to announce? Uh, it was trading cards. NFT trading cards. Trading cards, by the way, that weren't even original art. They were Photoshopped pictures, and they just put Trump stuff on them. His face, his name, 45, all that stuff. I mean, you want to talk about making yourself irrelevant? That's some Golden Globe type stuff right there. You want to make yourself absolutely a joke? Put some trading cards out for yourself. Portray yourself as a savior, as a superhero. When, yeah, it's it's just absolutely astounding. So Trump, as far as I'm concerned, is done. He is done. He performed miserably in 2020 in the debates. Um, his biggest problem was that he tried to be candidate Trump again when he was now the president. He, he didn't play President Trump. He played candidate Trump again. And people didn't want that. And, you know, whether you believe in the election fraud or, or, or any of that stuff, that stuff surely matters. Election integrity obviously matters. But when you run and win the White House as a disruptor, as a candidate who is antithetical to the deep state, to the Washington pedigree, legacy, entrenchment, when you are the outsider who comes in and has a chance to disrupt all that, but you are the president, you're still expected to act like the president. You are still expected to be presidential. So when you follow that up with simply being the same person you were in 2016 and you can't act presidential, you do not deserve to win. Flat out. You are not a good candidate. Biden is a terrible candidate too. He's a terrible president who can barely complete a sentence, who thinks that storing classified documents in a garage is fine uh, because it was locked. Even though uh, storing classified documents in a safe is wildly irresponsible. As for Biden, who knows if he'll actually run? Um, I think... Regardless of whether he runs, I think somebody else from the Democrat Party will challenge him. I really do. And I've had people tell me that that is crazy. And look, I've been wrong once before. Uh, but there are some people with presidential aspirations whose window is right now. Specifically, the governor of this once great state, California, where I live, who thinks he is presidential material, who thinks he has done a great job, who has gone on TV recently 
saying that California is a bastion of freedom and a model for the rest of the country, ignoring conveniently that he imposed some of these strictest COVID policies and destroyed tons of businesses and has been losing hundreds of thousands of people from his state, millions and millions of dollars generated by companies that have left the state like Tesla. And he really thinks he's, he's the bee's knees. He really thinks he's great. And I mean, that's just, it tells you how delusional some of these people are, but they genuinely believe it. And they do understand that the window is right now. So I think everybody with any sense of honesty, I think anybody with any sense understands that Biden is extremely vulnerable. He is incredibly old. He can barely talk. He is a joke on the national stage. People do not take us seriously. And so there are people like Gavin Newsom who understand that their window is right now. While they hold office in big states like California. And don't be surprised if they challenge him. Or if they convince him to not run. Which is also very, very likely. So, at the end of the day, I think we're going to see two candidates that are not Trump and not Biden jockeying for the White House. That's, that's what I think. Uh, again, I have been told that that is absolutely incorrect, that there's zero chance of it. Um, I'm not telling you to go to Vegas and put money down on it, but I am telling you just based off of common sense, what my gut tells me, what my eyes and ears tell me is that Trump is done. He has made himself irrelevant and that Biden is just not, he's, I don't think he's capable of running another campaign at his age, at his stage of dementia or just general mental decline, whatever it is. I just don't think that, that that's possible. And there's absolutely zero chance that Kamala Harris will run. Um, just people, people in Washington do not like her. She can't keep her staff together. Uh, it's a revolving door in a lot of ways. Her laugh is unbearable. And let's not forget that she was one of the first candidates to have to drop out during the Democratic primaries because she was such an awful candidate who kept black people in prison longer than they were sentenced to, um, fought to keep them in prison as long as she could and use them as essentially slave labor. So that stuff will come up again. And there's, I, there's, there's zero chance uh, that they want her to run. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but again, all of this comes down to what do Republicans actually believe? And if they want to win, not just the presidency, but if they want to win and keep both houses of Congress, they better figure that out fast. Because being a Republican doesn't mean much. 
It means essentially it can mean that you're just a moderate Democrat. There are very few conservatives in government, in Congress, outside of people like Rand Paul, Tom Massey. Um, it's, it's very small number of people that actually hold conservative values that believe in small government, that believe in natural rights, those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, if, if there is election fraud going on, if there is massive voter fraud and all the, the ballot dumping, if, if, that's, if that's really what's going on and you can't overcome that or figure out a way to stop it from happening, then you're screwed. Absolutely screwed. It, you cannot expect, again, to play their game and win. You have to stop playing their game. You have to start playing your own game, which is giving something to people to vote for and not simply vote against. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have candidates like Fetterman who can't talk at all. I mean, dear God, you, they, they voted a, a stroke victim who can't talk or formulate complete thoughts and sentences into a position of enormous power because the Republicans did so badly that that was a better alternative or it was at least a, a comparable alternative. It was a wash. And that, that tells you, that, that one race tells you everything you need to know about the Republicans. Uh, I know some of this seems like a bit of a downer. It seems like, man, the world is going to absolute shit. And it has been trending that way for a while now. But the really good news is that a lot of people are waking up to what's going on. If you want to do a little bit of work for yourself, I'm not trying to give you a homework assignment, but I'm going to give you a homework assignment. If you really want to see how governments operate, you want to see how politicians think, how these bubbles see the world, I have a really great book for you. We're not going to do this every week where I give you something to read. Uh, unless, you know, if that's your jam, if you want to see that, put it in the comments. Let me know. Uh, there's, lots of, there's lots of great stuff out there. The dry book, it is not a page turner, but if you do want to know how states operate and how states as an entity, how governments as, as bodies, as entities think and operate and try to shape the world, this is an absolutely fundamental book. Uh, I could not recommend it anymore. And it is a great place to start, especially with everything that's happening in the world right now, especially with what we've covered today. It is a, it is the perfect place to start. So seeing like a state highly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon. I believe it's available uh, digitally. So check it out, you know, on your Kindle, your iPad, uh, paperback, hardcover, whatever it may be. Guys, we did it. That's it. That's the amateur hour premiere episode, the pilots, episode one, Phantom Menace, whatever you want to call it. It's in the books. We did it. And uh, I just want to say again, thank you guys so much. If you like what you saw, if you have comments, 
feedback. I do love all that stuff. Please drop a comment down below, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, share this with your friends, spread the word, get this show out there, help other people wake up and start thinking for themselves. It's hard to find good news, but the good news is that we've gotten to the bottom of a lot of things. Thank you guys so much for watching. I will see you guys next week. Keep a lookout on Instagram for the next poll. What are we going to talk about next week? Check it out. Follow at Dr. Bradley. Look for that. And I will see you guys next week.